Hey guys, welcome to this week's roundup. I have a bunch of the usual news, plus an interview with Rob from RetroGamingCables.uk. So, a bunch of good stuff, and let's jump right into it. First up, I just wanted to ensure everybody that ROMHacking.net is up and it's fine. Uh, I guess about a week ago, um, maybe a little less, the, uh, the whole site went down due to a server error, but no one knew that. And then immediately somebody created a fake Twitter account um, with a similar name to ROMHacking.net and posed as if it was them and told everybody that Nintendo issued a takedown order. So I don't. I still, to this day, don't understand the purpose of trolling. Um, and, you know, I do understand getting people, you know, somebody's pissing you off, so you want to get them riled up. I do that all the time in person, not on forums. But this kind of trolling I just don't understand at all. I, I don't get the point of why saying a great site is down. But uh, it, it barely lasted a few days before everybody started figuring it out. And um, I think people tried to bait me into it, too, because I had a few concerned readers email me and ask if I knew what was going on. But I also had a few emails that were uh, repeated from the same email account, a few different ones like that. And I think it was them trying to get me to report that ROMHacking.net was down. So I didn't fall for it this time, trolls. But, um, yeah, I mean, everything, according to the owner of ROMHacking.net, Nightcrawler, uh, it was just a server error. And he's getting it back up and running soon enough. Um, it should be 100% by the time this comes out. But if not, it's you know I'm sure he's putting the last pieces together. But this is an unfortunate reminder that we need backups of all of this stuff across the internet. So um, I think my favorite, personally, which I talk about all the time, is the Smoke Monster ROM packs. Um, and I like them not just because how thorough they are, but also because I know a ton of people that use them. So if something were to happen, if a server were to go down, if Smoke Monster were to lose a backup drive, there's tons of his packs unmodified floating around on the internet. I know when I download them, I download the zip and then extract it, but keep the zip. So I have like a perfect copy of it just in case. So um, if you guys have ROMs uh, that are not in the Smoke Monster pack, please contact him, contact me. Just so if this ever does actually happen for real, we have, you know, legit copies of the work that people have done. And, you know, although I can't really provide a way to, uh, yet, at least, to have, um, like, a text backup, which is, you know, pretty much what ROMHacking.net is. You know, it's the IPS patches and a description of what it is. Uh, at least... If nothing else, the ROMs will live out forever, as long as we keep them. So take a look at the Smoke Monster Pack the next time you download one, and if you happen to have any ROMs that aren't in it, ROM hacks, I guess, or I guess any ROM that's not in it, just let one of us know, and, uh, you know, I hope I'm not overwhelming Michael by telling a bunch of people to <laughs> to, to email everything to him, but I think he's uh, even more concerned about this stuff than I am, so uh, one way or another, let's get all these things backed up for good, just in case something bad were to ever happen. And, once again, screw you to the trolls. Last week, we had the Retro Roundtable podcast, where we debated a bunch of different stuff, and it was a lot of fun. We, we got a lot nerdier than I would on this podcast, but uh, I really enjoyed it, and if you guys want to see where that whole topic of, you know, out-of-stock, you know, low-volume hobby projects ended up, that was great. Um, those guys abused the shit out of me for like a half hour, but it was perfect. Uh, we really got to hash it out, and I don't feel like any of us held back. 
Um, I wouldn't say I held back, but I certainly could have been a lot worse than I was. But uh, I think it was great that we got to do it in a forum like that. And we touched upon open source and other stuff. So hopefully um, the fact that we're arguing with each other about each other's stuff was positive in that no one's going to think that we were harping on them this time. But who knows? I'm sure I always tend to piss somebody off whenever I speak, so oops. But uh, I thought we covered a lot of great ground, and anybody that was curious about, you know, the whole out-of-stock items thing, you know, maybe give that a watch, because it really adds a lot of cool perspective to stuff. So, uh, And we're going to try to continue to do that once a month, um, have, you know, set topics, plus a couple other random things, and hopefully have more guests on there soon to, to really nerd it out with us. So I hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, please subscribe to that on YouTube and stuff if, uh, if you did. That way, you know, the more subscribers and the more views, the more we know that people are actually digging it, so we could uh, maybe get some more cool people on and have another one of those uh, epic battles like last week. <laughs> Next, some good news about that Game Boy Color backlight fiasco. Um, I got all of my money back, so I I'm kind of shocked, to be honest with you. I guess I don't know what happened with the seller. I don't know if the product was ever real or if it was just a, something, some way to get money from people. But um, I never, the the seller never shipped that Game Boy Color to Biner, B-H-I-N-E-R, who was kind of like the middleman. Uh, and because it's a 12-hour time difference, it took a bit of time, but I got a full refund from Biner, including like, the fees they charged and everything. So it just took a few days of you know acknowledging that I wanted to cancel the order, having the cancellation go through, waiting for the refund, but they were super friendly, and I got every penny back. So while that project itself might be a big fail, uh, this is at least... We all know that the company Biner, so once again, B-H-I-N-E-R.com, seems to be a decent middleman. They didn't pay me to say that or anything. I just uh, I figured I would share that with you guys because it's nice to know that I didn't lose 104, or 150 bucks for no reason. Uh, so I guess I'll use them next time I need something from Taobao, and hopefully next time it won't be fake. <laughs> next, Super G is about to list the G-Comp switch for sale on his website. That's that automatic switching four-port component video switch he's been working on. It actually will probably be live about the same time as this podcast, so if you're listening, definitely check his website. I did a full review of it a little while back of a prototype unit that worked perfect, so I'll leave that link in the description as well as a link to his website. And he also wanted to let everybody know that the G-SCART switches, that uh, the last batch of those are all shipped, so you should either have already gotten it or you will be getting it very soon. And the extras will all be sold next week. Next, there's actually two updates to the NT-Mini firmware. Last Friday, as promised, Kevfrist released one that added the Arcadia 2001 core, the Channel F core, and the Creative Vision core. I actually don't know what any of those are, but I'm um, glad that they're preserved in, uh, in FPGA. And after uh, just a few days later, he uh, released another firmware that was just a bug fix update and kind of tweaked a few things. Um, and also, Kevtris posted a video of his cartridge adapters and what they're going to look like and uh, kind of how he makes them, which I thought was really interesting as well. So uh, once again, more progress with this thing, and I can't wait to see what he comes up with next. Next, there's a fun video floating around the internet about a guy who automated his house with the Zelda Ocarina. 
So while this isn't directly retro gaming news, it's pretty awesome, and I think anybody with even the slightest bit of nerdiness in him is going to love it. Um, so basically he has a microphone in a Raspberry Pi that's constantly listening, and he programmed it so that when he he- hears some of the ocarina tunes, it fires off commands to different things. I don't want to spoil it, just trust me, if you have even the slightest slightest bit of nerdiness and you like to build stuff, this video will make you smile. It's totally impractical, but it's awesome. <laughs> Next, Primal Rage 2 is now playable via a custom version of MAME. So I believe this was an unreleased arcade game that was mostly finished but never hit the market. And then people found boards of it a few years ago and actually had it playing in an arcade in Illinois, I believe. And then uh, just recently the ROM was floating around but wasn't playable on any version of MAME. So somebody created a version specifically for it. And actually, I believe he even has the source code up for anybody that wants to contribute. So that's pretty awesome. Once again, uh, once again, another game is not lost to history. We've kind of resurrected it and kept it alive forever now, as long as nobody loses the ROM. So, yeah, good work to the team involved in that. Next, Rob from Retro Gaming Cables posted an article about which SCART to HDMI converters to avoid and why he thinks you should avoid them. I, for the most part, uh, agree totally, and I kind of hate these things. Um, you know, I've had a lot of people argue that they're so cheap, it's a good start for people that maybe just have a quick blast of nostalgia and, and they'll never use the game again, or maybe they can't afford something right now, but they're getting ready to get an OSSC or a Framemeister. And while I guess those are good enough excuses, especially because I, I think these are about $30 in the U.S., there are so many issues with them. Um, so my two biggest complaints by far was that this particular one um, handles 240p and processes it as 480i, so you get a, a shaky interlaced image. And the few of these that I've tried add about five frames of lag, which is just insane. Uh, Rob pointed out that some of these will only work with composite video, CVBS, um, and I've seen ones that only work with TTL sync, which is the opposite. Most people want 75 ohm C-Sync, or most devices, I mean. So it's a good read, and I agree with him 100% on that. Um, the one kind of interesting thing I found for this, I used to say this was good enough if you just wanted to, to stream, like a if you weren't streaming for the purpose of quality, right? You just wanted to play a game and have your friends watch, or you were just archiving something like, oh, check out the speed run. Um, you know, this is a pretty good solution just because of how cheap it is. But the the one other thing I found for it is that the OSSC in line triple mode is not compatible with my TV um, or my capture card with Super Nintendo. So by running it through this, the HDMI input, um, and then to the output of this going into my capture card, it actually worked. Um, and although it's not great quality, it's way better than just directly into this in the capture card. So, hey, you know, if you already own one of these, at least you could add that to the list of things it might be useful for. But, it's, uh, you know, I know a bunch of people disagree with me, but I'm still sticking with my guns on the fact that, you know, I would not use these to game ever. Capture cards, sure, but never to play a game because it's just five frames of lag plus whatever's on your TV. It's unbearable. I don't think I could play any game in that, so... Just our thoughts on it, I guess. Thanks to Smoke Monster for this next tip. I guess an unreleased Dreamcast racing game was found on a dev kit. 
So somebody had purchased a Dreamcast development kit, and on the hard drive was the game Millennium Racer, uh, Y2K Fighters. So I guess this was a racing game that was available on PC, and they were working on a Dreamcast port. And it's mostly playable and now available to download. So uh, it's pretty cool. It's twice twice in today's episode that we have a game saved from uh, getting lost in history. So uh, I don't know how these things keep popping up all these years later, but I'm really glad they do. A bit of fun news now. Um, remember those Genesis USB hubs? So they, they basically look like a mini Sega Genesis, but they're a USB hub. And people were really hacking them to get a, a Raspberry Pi in it and turning them to a mini gaming station. Well, Alex, a.k.a. Arcade TV, has designed a board that you could install in it that actually has 15 kilohertz RGB output with a Raspberry Pi. So that way you'd be able to just kind of drop it in uh, and add uh, as well as a Raspberry Pi into one of these things. So what a, a neat and fun way of going about doing this, and I can't wait to get one to try for myself just for the hell of it. Now I'll have to find another reason to use a second Raspberry Pi. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I, I love fun little projects like this. So uh, awesome work as always, Alex. Next, there's a new demo out of the fan-made Alex Kid 2. So it's an unofficial fan-made sequel, and this is the third demo of it, and it looks really, really cool. It looks like, uh, I mean, it looks like the original, but slightly improved a bit. So I'll keep everybody updated on the progress, and hopefully we'll see a full release soon. Next, TMEE has posted the Sega Light Phaser schematic on the SMS Power Forums. And while this probably won't affect most of us, I just, I love when stuff like this is available. Because now it's yet another thing documented that we have. Uh, I'm not sure how or why this could be used for anything. I'm just sure that at some point it's going to be very useful. So big thanks to him for doing that for us. And lastly, I just posted a video that's kind of an overview of the Tian Li Sega VCD player. So it's a video CD player released only in China that plays Genesis games. Um, I don't think the video came out that great. Um, I was in, It was like the last video I did at my old apartment. I was rushing to get it done before I moved, and it wasn't. the video didn't come out the way I wanted. Uh, it originally was supposed to be that Justin, a.k.a. the Goodwill Hunter, who found it, uh, was going to do a part one and kind of do a, an overview, and I was going to do an in-depth part two and kind of show all the chips inside of it and trace it out and maybe even mod it for RGB if it wasn't. But I just I ran out of time, so... Um, you know, I, I'm sorry if it was kind of just a clone of what Justin did, and I, I hope I at least got a little more information out there about it. And I think I edited it good enough so it doesn't suck, but uh, I just, you know, I've been trying really hard to get my videos at least a little bit higher quality. I mean, I will never be on the level of Phone Dork or My Life in Gaming or anything, but, you know, I think they're good enough for what they are, and I, I didn't feel like that last one was. I felt like I missed a lot of stuff and a lot of testing I could have done, so... Um, I just, I did want to post it because it's kind of a cool thing to see, especially if you never even knew things like that existed before. But I promise the next ones that I do will be way better than that. So uh, thanks for your patience. Before I get to the Q&A, it's just a very quick update on the stuff I have for sale. Um, I was able to get a few things in the hands of uh, people that needed it, so that was cool. But I still have the iScan Micro and two guitars I really got to sell. So if you know anybody that wants a pretty cool heavy metal guitar, please uh, pass them the link because I got to get rid of those kind of soon. So thanks, guys. Now on to the Q&As. 
There was a lot of opposing opinions in the comments last week about the GDMU and how to handle hobby projects. And since we got into that pretty heavy in the retro roundtable, um, I'm not going to go through that again. But if you're interested in the opinions, definitely check out that uh, podcast, which I have a link to in the description, of course. But um, more importantly, people were posting a lot of other alternatives. And I don't really have experience with any of these, so I'm not sure... Um, you know, where they rank, if one's better than the other. Uh, my buddy Chris showed me an alternative that you run an IDE board out the back, so you have to cut your Dreamcast, but you could kind of have an IDE hard drive loading it, which looked neat. Uh, I think that one was out of stock, too. Um, and then a lot of people had posted about the USB GD-ROM, which is another alternative. And somebody even made a 3D printed tray for that. So I guess you remove the CD-ROM drive, you put the 3D printed tray in, and then that way it kind of has a nice flush uh, solution for you. So it was cool. I'm, I'm glad there's other um, other alternatives out there. And I'll keep everybody posted when the, the GDMU is back up for sale uh, and if there's any other alternatives coming out in the future. A few people posted in the comments in regards to the right to repair issue that's going on now. Uh, first, Michael Quattrochi posted a link to the iFixit page, which kind of has it summarized pretty nicely. Um, and he also made a point that uh, I own and demonstrate many useful and modified pieces of hardware that would be prohibited if the vendors had a say in it. I never thought of it that way. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, of course, as you would imagine, would be on the consumer side of this in the stores. Basically, I'm against the manufacturer saying you can't repair your own products. Um, and it does, you know, it kind of forces you to buy new products all the time, and it kind of, it sucks. It's not good practice for anybody. Um, one other person posted something kind of interesting, Volkler Eisenfeld. Um, he said, uh, I'm incorrect about one aspect. According to a specific law, which he linked uh, in case anybody was interested, a manufacturer cannot tie the validity of warranty to exclusive use of authorized repair, including the consumer meaning that those uh, warranty void stickers are lying and the uh, companies cannot legally deny a warranty claim unless they can prove that any repair or modification of uh, the consumer made was the direct cause of the warranty claim but most people ignore this law and i've been on you know i've been on every side of this i've been on you know i've worked for a company that manufactured products and if it came back and the warranty sticker was gone but the problem was a bad motherboard we wouldn't say a word we would just fix the motherboard and send it back but you know if uh if it comes back and there's a rainbow colored you know sata cable in there which we never shipped with it's like all right somebody's been messing with something you know we and we would i don't think that we've ever actually come straight out and said we're denying a warranty but we've certainly, you know, unless it was cases like it was smashed into a million pieces, but we'd, we'd be skeptical of stuff like that. So, you know, and on the other side, I have had uh, things uh, that were turned away because I had opened it up myself. I had people straight up say, you know, oh, if you opened it, it completely voids everything. An open product is a broken product and we're not fixing it for you, which sucked because I didn't do anything wrong. All I did was pop the bottom off of a laptop once just to see you know, what was broken on it, and uh, I, I got denied a return, which, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I really hope people take notice of this stuff, and if there's a petition to sign or a, a place to, that we can go for it, uh, definitely do it, because, it, you know, manufacturers shouldn't have such tight control over things, just exactly like the right to jailbreak that was fought in the U.S., and I think it's still an ongoing thing. Um, you know, if you own a product and you own, if you own the hardware, do you own the software on it? You know, or is that controlled somewhere else? So, all good arguments. Um, 
and I, I'm always, I'm always rooting for the people, not the manufacturers. So, you guys know where I stand on this one. But thanks again for the links. Next, a few people actually posted in regards to the game Secret Command that I talked about last week, which had a speed patch. So first, Beatrim said that Ashura, Rambo, and Secret Commando are pretty much the same game. Um, I hadn't really played through any of them, so I didn't realize that. But also, Bumtree said that all of the European box arts, cartridges, and listings at the time for the localized Mark III game Ashura are actually say it's Secret Command. So the box and the cover art does, and then the title screen says Secret Commando. Um, but the incorrect former name is what everyone used in common parlance. Uh, and then he said, we were mostly aware of the discrepancy, but didn't care. I don't know if you meant we, like you're part of the SMS Power team, or we just a consumer, but if you are, great work on SMS Power. <laughs> I love that site. So thanks for the clarification, and I, I don't know why, but I'm always so amused by stories like this. You know, one of my favorites is the band Kill Switch Engage. Um, the, the song My Last Serenade was listed incorrectly as My Life's Serenade, and I always thought that was hilarious, that you could print thousands of copies of the wrong thing, and it slips out even in this day and age. So the fact that they did it, you know, in the 80s is, you know, it's still happening today. It's not just a thing from back then, but cool. Thanks for the explanations. Next, the Analog Man asked, Is there a dump of the Nest palette from the GameCube Zelda Collector's Edition title? Uh, I've done a search but can't find anything specific. So it's funny because I joked last week about how Firebrand X said he was uh, done with the project, but might get back into it eventually. Um, there's a bunch of different, uh, like, collector's edition remakes of the old versions on GameCube, uh, you know, and all the Game Boy Color titles and things like that, which I don't know how their color palettes compare to the rest of them. But, um, and I personally, I'm still just happy with the ones that, uh, you know, that we have now. But, yeah, it's kind of funny, because I guess if FBX were to come out of retiring for that, it would probably be for something like cloning those. But I don't know if any actually exist. Um, and I've only played that game for a short period of time, and I vaguely remember not liking the color palette. So I don't know, I don't know specifically why, and maybe I'm just crazy. Maybe I, the monitor I was using at the time just didn't like it. But uh, if anybody has any thoughts on that, please let me know. Okay, up next I have an interview with Rob from RetroGamingCables.uk. Um, and for people watching on YouTube, definitely check out the video that's playing now. Uh, it shows the injection mold process of how he makes his newer cables. And I wanted to specifically put it in this video rather than just stick it in with the interview. Because I don't know about you guys, but for a lot of these interviews um, you know, that I listen to other people's podcasts, I kind of have it on in the background and I'm not always paying attention to the video part. And I just thought this was so cool, I wanted to actually show it and make sure that people watching on YouTube really got a chance to see what it's all about. Um, but basically, uh, what the injection molding is, uh, he's doing the video with one hand because he's holding the camera with the other, which is actually kind of funny to watch. But he has the metal mold made, uh, and he lays the cables out through them in their place and puts them in the machine, which then fills it with plastic. Uh, and he talks about this in detail in the interview, but... I mean, it's great both for strain relief and for options of what else you can do. Um, he specifically has these molds now for Genesis 1 and 2, PlayStation, and the Nintendo consoles. 
And uh, another reason for this is that he could have the fully shielded versions of his cable offered with all of this. Uh, he calls those the pack-a-punch versions, um, but basically that's where each of the individual cables inside the main cable is also shielded, which is a pretty big deal for analog video. Um, and, you know, overall, I, I really enjoyed the how the interview went and uh, how he answered a lot of this stuff. Because I was kind of gearing up for maybe a debate on something or, or maybe disagreeing, but it really sounds like he's absolutely on the ball with this and knows what he needs to do to improve, knows what he's already been doing right for a long time, and everything in between. Which is really great to hear for any company making any product. So uh, I had a you know had a great time talking to him, and it was St. Patrick's Day when we recorded it, his Friday night. So we decided to have a couple beers while doing it, and just make it more like two nerds talking at a bar rather than a, a, an interview, which I enjoyed. Hopefully you guys did too. So um, you know as always, thanks for watching. Any comments or criticism, please leave it down below. I always like to hear what you guys have to say, and uh, I'll see you guys next week. Hey guys, I'm here with Rob from Retro Gaming Cables. How you doing, man? Yeah, not too bad. So uh, as we discussed, uh, we're going to start this out right. I'm going to do myself a shot of Jack. I know it's uh, you said you're doing Irish whiskey, but uh, I'm out. So Jack's all I got. Since it's St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess I'll do the, a multi-language salute. We say cheers in America. It's uh, Prost in Sweden. Uh, Yakida is, um, uh, is Welsh. What was my thing? Forgetting. Uh, Skoll? No. Prost is German. Skoll is Swedish. What's Canada? Schatz, eh? Yeah, <laughs> we'll do that. Schatz, eh? <laughs> I actually knew how to say it in uh, Mandarin Chinese as well, but my pronunciation is so bad, it's just, it's best that I don't even try. <laughs> oh, Alright, now I'm switching back to beer because too many shots. I won't make it through this. <laughs> So um, I'm glad uh, we finally get to talk. I've been working with you for years with your cables and stuff and always bugging you to make different shit for me and <laughs> trying to get things worked out. Um, how'd you get started in all this? You know, were you a retro gamer? Were you just, uh, and do you make other cables for a living? Like, how'd you get started? It's hard to say, really. Um, I suppose I started about, it was about 10 years ago now. Uh, at the time, I was a service engineer in the electronics bingo industry mm -hmm. and um, used to drive all over the country and fix bingo machines for, um, you know, bingo halls all over the UK, uh, Scotland, Ireland, uh, you know, stuff like that. And I just got a bit fed up of all the traveling around. So then one day I just thought, right, I was going to do something different. So I handed in my resignation. And I uh, went to university to study electronics for four years. So that was back in, um, I can't think now, 2008, something like that. Hmm. Um, so, yes, started at university. Uh, you call it college in America? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, college. Um, they call it college, but a lot of the colleges are like the university of, which is weird. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Um, you call like college school? I don't really know how it works there. It's kind of yeah. In American English, there's like seven or eight words to describe the same thing, and then of course in just the English language, there's two. There's the same word to describe two different things. Like, you know, it's lovely weather outside, or you know, whether or not we're going to finish the podcast, or if Bob's not too drunk. Like, it's the same word spelled differently, but 
That's why the English is such a pain to learn for, uh, you know, as a second language. If I didn't learn it as my first, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be able to. Yeah. Yeah, so I started a university. Uh, and I just wanted to make a bit of money, you know, on the side. And I don't know how I got the idea, but <clears throat> I just started making, you know, cables for the Mega Drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mega Drive 1. Uh, the Genesis, you call it in America, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and just started selling them on eBay. And slowly picking up gradually, you know, over the months. And then um, it just started to become like a little, nice little business, you know, on the side whilst I was studying. Um and then when I graduated in 2012, um, there wasn't much going on with regards to employment around. So I thought, I'll give this a try, you know, f- full time. That's, that's basically where it took off from, really. Yeah, it was so, 2012, you said? 2012. It's funny, it's pretty much about the same time I started the <clears> website, <throat> maybe right after, yeah. or right before I started the website. So yeah, we both, you know, got into this about the same time. Why yeah. um why gaming cables? Are you just always a retro game fan? Well, they weren't retro when we were kids, but we always had yeah some... yeah yeah. I've always grown up with the mainly the Segas rather than Nintendo. So I think here in the UK, the 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 Sega was the most affordable one. I think mm-hmm. out of the two. Um, if if you had a friend who had a Nintendo, you know their parents had money. <laughs> that was the Neo Geo in America. If you were a oh, Neo Geo yeah. kid, you were you were usually an only child spoiled rich kid. I'm sure I'm yeah. going to get hate from all the Neo Geo fans <laughs> out there. I knew a bunch of kids that worked their butts off doing odd jobs to get them, but yeah, mostly it was just the mega rich kids. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I've always grown up with, with the Segas, and uh, I think my first console was a, an Atari 2600, mm-hmm. and then went up to... Um, a 7800, then Master System. So that's where it took off from the Sega. Gotcha. Uh, and then the, then the Mega Drive. And then I had all, all kinds of things after that, you know, uh, as a teenager. Um, I even went to the dark side and uh, got an, uh, an Amiga. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't actually played one of those yet. I'm, it's on my list of things to get. <clears throat> yeah, Amiga 1200. Uh, fantastic, really. Um Mega uh, CD32, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just just things like that. And then I think when I left home at the age of nineteen, then you start your your working career, then you kind of lose track of all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, me uh, too. Yeah, and then, uh, so yeah, I've recently just got back into it all, you know, with doing it as a job. So yeah, I'm starting to build my collection back up again. All the games I had back in the day. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when I uh, when I moved out, it was the same thing, and I took all of my old consoles and I went to a game store where I kind of sort of knew the owner, and I asked if uh, I could trade all of them for two Xboxes, uh, and I hacked the Xboxes and put you know one in my living room, one in my bedroom, so they were my media player, and it had all the emulators on it, and I thought, well, this is perfect. Why would I ever need the original consoles? And it wasn't until I started, you know, and I never really gamed on them that much, but when I went back and started to actually play through the games, and I don't know if it's my OCD or something, but I started to see huge differences between the emulated versions and the originals, and then, of course, the lag and stuff once you get a flat screen, and it drove yeah. me nuts, I had to go back <clears throat> had to go back and play it on a real console. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so I'm back into retro gaming now, I suppose, so I'm... St- trying to 
uh, complete my in, ra- rather than getting you know people have just collect um, you know games for the sake of it but I'm trying to collect the stuff I had when I was a kid so yeah. I kind of try and buy job lots from eBay mm-hmm. so I've got loads of duplicates of you know games <laughs> I'm still trying to get those 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 you know rare ones which I had um, I used to collect a lot of the Japanese games as well for the Mega Drive. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that was really good because uh, I really like the artwork on the mm-hmm. on the boxes. So yeah, yeah, and I hopefully... think I started with that as well. I needed to have everything that I'd given away, and then it was like, all right, I got to have the consoles that I always was dying to know what they were like, and like the Saturn and the CDI. And I knew the CDI sucked. I just had to know what it was like to play it. And it was just, it, you know, I think I got it fairly cheap. My friend Justin finds me all these great deals on him. And uh, when I got it home, I was so excited to experience how shitty it actually was. It's yeah. such a weird <laughs> thing to say because you don't, you don't grasp how bad it is through an emulator. And then, of course, yeah. the opposite with the Saturn. You know, what a cool and great system. So Yeah. I kind of missed out on the Saturn and the Saturn and the Dreamcast and the, and the GameCube. I kind of came out of gaming at that point in time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I really got back into it, I think, with the PlayStation 2 for a while. Um, and then for the last probably 10 years, Xbox. So <laughs> I play a lot of uh, online Call of Duty. That's mm-hmm. probably that's what I mainly play at the moment. So uh, think, on the um, Xbox. I think my brother had a PlayStation 2. So I got to try Grand Theft Auto and one of the others, which was fun, but. I really, you know, I was traveling for work. I was all over the place. I couldn't sit and play a game. It was really when the Wii came back out that I started to realize. Because, you know, the Wii was a fun, gimmicky toy, which has some amazing games. Some games that, you know, just was a, a, you know, controller gimmick. But then when I started playing some of the classic games on it through the Virtual Console, that's kind of what sparked my whole... That and finding the angry video game nerd who always makes me laugh. But those two things oh, yeah. were like the catalyst for, for like having to go and get the originals. And then yeah. get a lot of uh, the newer games. Like when I first played a cave story, I was blown away. I mean, I felt like I felt like this could be a Genesis game, which is funny because somebody's actually recreating it on the Genesis right now. So, but oh, cool. yeah. So. Um, before we get into the actual cable talk and everything, there's something I want to make sure that everybody listening understands, because it's very easy for nerds to start talking, and I mean that nerd with respect, obviously, but to nerds to start talking and people just kind of skip over. Um, making analog cables is really fucking hard. I mean, there's, you know, anybody, of course, could solder a connector, but trying to figure out where the interference lies... You know, any of the uh, the grounding issues, how you need to shield things, and then going through the many different revisions of consoles. You know, I got a bunch of questions for you. I just don't want anybody at home to think I'm, like, uh, accusing or, or, or basically I'm not – all of my questions are genuine. None of them are going to be – you know, I'm not picking on you at all. I'm asking because there's just so much out there and there's so many fascinating things to learn. And I just – I never thought how excited I would get about cables until I really got into this stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not easy, and there's a lot that goes into it. It's not like digital, where you just make sure there's make sure there's nothing pinched, and there's a microfarad at the end, and you get yourself a decent HDMI, so... But, yeah, uh, but yeah I mean, how... I guess with the Genesis, because you said that was your first one that you started making, right? Yeah. So, were you able to find, at that time, uh, just a repository to get these connectors, or were they just off-the-shelf eight pins... And, like, how did you um, start those original first cables that you sold on eBay? Yeah, 
I did manage to source the correct pin configuration because a lot of people uh, see a regular 8-pin DIN, which is a 260-degree configuration. It's like a C-shape. But the Genesis uses a U-shape, which is a a 272-degree configuration. So the, the top two pins are slightly misaligned, but that, you know, that can stop it from pushing in. You know, if you try and use a regular 8-pin on, on a Mega Drive Genesis. So, yeah, I was, I was able to source the correct connectors for those from a company just down the road from, from where I live, so it wasn't too bad. That's lucky. Uh, <clears throat> but mega expensive. <laughs> really expensive. And so, what did you do for the, the cable itself? Did you uh, do the old trick in using um, uh, RJ45 cable, or did you get... Uh, slightly better for your first run i think initially i was using um something called a defense standard eight core um seven strand point two diameter cable which is <laughs> used in the defense industry <laughs> that's actually quite the opposite <laughs> yeah huh. so i mean uh, uh the gauge on that is pretty good mm-hmm. um so, you know so it can carry a lot of current um which um compared to the Stuff you get from China, if you used to get a cheap Chinese cable and, and take it apart and it'll have a few strands of, of copper wire and it's not really adequate. So I don't know if you've seen, but there were cables out there that uh, literally used twisted pair RJ45 cable. Yeah. And it was kind of scary to see. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, That might be good for interference, actually, because you've got twisted pairs. I don't know. I, Experiment. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Because uh, in twisted pair cable, there, um, there's not enough pairs to have each. So I think, yeah, I think some lines were actually tied to each other, like in the twist. So that's it's actually the opposite. Oh, right. It was a lot worse for interference. But oh yeah, cause it's an eight core, isn't it? So you'd have to have, you know, um... four pairs, right? Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> the lines were twisted. But um, so. When I first started getting into this, it was so confusing to, to figure out what what sync is, what C sync, why does it matter? And it took a couple of and I had a lot of people that were patient enough to to sit there and really explain what it meant, but it was still over my head. It really to break when I forgot who it was that I, or maybe it was a combination of people to break it down that you know the SCART standard uses composite video as the sync. Just standard old composite video, you can plug it right into a TV and get a picture out of it. And that the problem, the only problem with using that is that when you have the composite video line running so close to the the color lines, most importantly the blue color line, the interference kind of bounces between the cables causing that. And that I guess technically speaking, if you were to drill four holes in the back of a console and use, you know, shielded cable, the big-ass BNC cable all the way up, you could actually use composite video and there wouldn't be any interference at all. So it's really just uh, chasing C-Sync is just a way to to eliminate as much interference as possible. But yeah. the problem with that is that you know, there's a few, there's a handful of consoles that don't output it, and then you have ones like Saturn, where in, and PlayStation 1 and 2, depending on uh, which models, but that uh, that have different motherboard revisions that have different components on them, right? So yeah. that was, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, was it later revision Model 2s uh, didn't have the components on the motherboard and they needed to be in the cable? Was that the case? 
Was that for the Saturn or the Saturn? Yes, the Saturn. Um, I think it was some revisions. Yeah, so you have to add an extra capacitor and um, uh, seventy-five ohm resistor, which is series, on the board on the of the other Saturn models. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's uh, kind of <laughs> what a frustrating thing to go by, you know. But then a lot of people say just use Luma, but the problem with that is a lot of displays, processors, and other things won't accept anything other than a clean 75-ohm C-Sync. Um, yeah. And then you could say, well, why don't, if it's only a matter of compatibility, why don't you just throw a sync stripper in the head, which in many cases is the perfect solution. But then it's, well, what if you end up then eventually buying a G-SCART switch, so you're running a stripper through a stripper, and, you know, I've actually seen issues with that before. So I'm not sure why or what, but it's not common, but um, it's a... Uh, a couple of people said they had sync strikes, I think, and had to remove the sync stripper out of their cable. And, you know, uh, it's, it's just, what a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, the the sync stripper does add a little bit of amplitude to the signal. Mm -hmm. So if if you're looking at one, one volt peak to peak mm -hmm. uh, for an ideal, you know, well, that's maximum. Mm -hmm. if, if you run it through, um, if, if you're already running that through a, a, that kind of, amplitude through a sync stripper then it's going to introduce uh, amplification slightly and if you go for another sync stripper it's just going to get bigger and bigger <laughs> and then it's going to cause problems at the end gotcha yeah so um i mean over the years i've seen i've seen you constantly improve and, and add new revisions of your cables and what started out as a good cable is in some ways come become pretty freaking impressive some of the stuff that you've been able to add and jam in there um, and it's really good to see people constantly improving their work. Um, you know, forum trolls aside, there's been a lot of good and bad feedback of every cable out there. And yeah. a lot of the bad <clears throat> feedback um, is actually, at least for me, been a great learning experience. Because if somebody says, hey, I bought the Saturn cable and it doesn't work, what the hell? You know, they're actually 100% right. And then that's how you learn the things about certain model revisions don't have the components on the board. And that's how, yeah. and it's, you know, it's frustrating for any seller and for the consumers too, of course, but it's uh it's kind of a, it's, it's been such a mind blowing thing to see how many different revisions and to see how, like generally speaking, Nintendo consoles were pretty straightforward. You buy a super Nintendo, you're going to get TTL sync out of it, uh, out of the C sync pin on all North American revisions done. But for Sega, geez, roll the dice. <laughs> Yeah, well, what I've always thought of, well, my ethos has always been, you know, I'm running a business, uh, any kind of profit I make, I put it back into equipment and improving, you know, the way I do things to obviously make the product better, make more sales. And, you know, I, that's, that's the way I've always done it. Um, I've invested a lot recently in an um, injection mold machine. Oh, wow. um, to overmold the connectors. So, say for instance, oh, this is a PlayStation mm -hmm. connector which which I overmold. And then you and have the button. composite video uh, right on that. Yeah, that's for um, for the light guns. For the light guns, so it says light gun on there as well. That is freaking awesome! I love it. And um, and then there's the Nintendo as well. So that's a different. Different tool for the Nintendo. So, are you actually making these cables yourself, or do you? Um... Yeah, yeah. 
Huh. So you source, obviously you're not making the cable cable itself. You source no. large reams of that, and then <clears throat> you actually make each of the ends, the SCART end, and then the console end, and then... Yeah. That's a... I mean, I guess that's that's good, but man, that must be time-consuming. <laughs> yeah. Like, the cable we use is actually made in the UK. Oh. In one of only a, a couple of factories left which actually do it. Mm-hmm. So we, we buy the cable um, in the UK, and... We get our <clears throat> web address printed on there, made in Britain. Hmm. Well, onto the cable, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> yeah, there's some parts we have to get from China, like scar plugs. Yeah, yeah. The actual connectors themselves, um, but yeah, we we soldered them on, and um, yeah. So for a while you were um, offering a shielded option for a couple of your cables. So is that um, each each cable individually inside of it was shielded, or is it just the outside of the cable that was shielded? Yeah, we we did a a, a range called the Packer Punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> big zombie fan, um, <laughs> big zombie Call of Duty fan, Packer Punch. Um, we did that for the Super Nintendo and the Mega Drive One. So basically, it was a um, uh, 75 ohm coax- mini coaxial cable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so each each strand, each color was insulated. The sound was insulated, uh, and then it was overall insulated as well. With um, not Whoa, foils. So um, let me don't skip over that one because that's very important. <laughs> so what you're saying is that the red, green, and blue lines, as well as the left and right audio lines, all had their own shielding around the actual uh, data lines coming down it. Yeah, everything is individually shielded and overall shielded using that's, braid. Um, that is yeah. vitally important, and I've seen people sell shielded ca- cables. I usually use eBay as an example just because there's so much garbage on eBay. I'm not shitting on all of eBay. There's a lot of good stuff, but there was one that was basically um, – it might as well have been uh, a shielded network cable. It wasn't that bad, <laughs> but yeah. it was – you know the strands inside were, were thin, and you could probably break them if you just wiggled them once or twice, and then just the outside of it was shielded, which – doesn't hurt, but at the same time, that's not going to do anything for signal coupling or anything like that. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, are you yeah. guys? Do you plan on continuing those uh, to make those and offer them? Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I bought this injection mold machine was to be able to make pack a punch cables for every console. And uh, the problem we had at the time was um, you could buy. Um, Take, take the Genesis 2, for example. Mm-hmm. The Genesis 2 connector, which is an amp-in mini-din. Mm-hmm. The, the, cable entry on, the cable entry on the strain relief mm-hmm. is about 6 millimeters in diameter. Mm-hmm. So you physically cannot get, you know, like a, an 8 or a 9 millimeter cable in there. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to buy a molding machine and then have um, injection uh, molding tools made for each connector, mm-hmm. and then I could use any diameter I want on each console. Um, here's one of my tools. This is this is a tool for the Nintendo. Um, comes in two halves. And I love clamp- seeing stuff like this. It brings me back yeah. to the company I used to work for, where we would, where we manufactured everything. So yeah. I, 
God, that was, yes, uh, that's what, $60,000 in your hand right there? <laughs> so. um, no, not that much. <laughs> but pretty expensive because the, these are um, they're not just milled out of a machine. It's, it's a process called um, Sparky Road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I have to make, I don't know if you heard of that, I have to make um, the initial um, die from copper mm-hmm. and it's slowly pushed into the metal over time in water. You can Google you know, videos on YouTube of, of spark eroded uh, tools. It's a fascinating oh. process. <laughs> All of our stuff was very large, so we didn't need to we didn't yeah. need to worry about that. But wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So So is that yeah. that's an injection mold tool, not an SLA plastic tool, obviously, right? Yeah, so you load your cables in oh. yeah, you load a cable this is a two shot process, so it, it over molds it twice. Mm-hmm. So you, you initially put the cable in this side, mm-hmm. and it does the first shot of plastic. And then you move it over to this side for the final shot. Mm-hmm. So it's a two-shot process. Um, that's where the gun goes in there. It comes down on a pneumatic ram and injects it in gotcha. for about 30 seconds. So basically, once these are um, once these molds are done, you can't open up the console side after you've gotten it, right? No, that's it. <laughs> you know, there's there's people online that debate this, and I yeah. I might be in the minority side of this, but I don't think you should open the console side. I think when you see cable that big going into something so small, um, you know, some sellers put two part epoxy in there to hold it in. I mean, I don't really have a problem with that either, to be honest with you. I mean, it's when you have something, it would be different if you had one one pair cable going in, but yeah, you know, yeah, there's just. It, the um the amount of uh, I guess so you're using are you using the overmold as strain release as well? Strain yeah, release. So it, Sorry. Yeah, so it's got the strain relief built in. So this gotcha. from from here to here mm-hmm. it's all injected and it's one you know, really, really rigid. Um, gotcha. But going back to the packer punch, the idea with the packer punch was to be able to take out these inserts mm-hmm. here so you can put a wider diameter cable in and that's what we're going to be doing in the future so oh, we'll that's be able, cool we'll be able to pack a punch the um nintendos uh, the playstations and i've just ordered um molds for the genesis one and two mm-hmm. um and the cool thing about the Genesis 2 connector is the outer diameter of the, of the connector will allow it to fit into a Genesis 3 console. We'll be able to fit through the case. <laughs> I was just going to ask about that. I'm not sure if you'd heard any of the discussions we've had about that, but yeah. I was dead wrong. For years, I thought those, uh, those consoles were not able to output RGB without a mod, and uh, it was that was because you just couldn't get the cable in all the way. So yeah, I, I saw that video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted so badly to be right because I did actually have one console that wouldn't, which was just a bad connector. It was, had nothing to yeah. do with the console and the manufacturing. So but, very cool. So um, when will those be available again? Um, I should have had the, the new tools, the new molding tools for the Sega's. Last week, <laughs> but uh, you know, what about uh, the, and you? That's the Super Nintendo one right there, right? Yeah, I've I've got yeah I've already got the Super Nintendo and and 
the um, so the Super Nintendo Pack a Punch are up on back on your website. Oh no, not yet. No, because oh, okay. um, the, the the reason for the delay in Pack a Punch and these is the manufacturer um, made these inserts come out for the cable grip, mm-hmm. but the actual strain the strain relief they made it too small. Oh, okay. So these are going to be sent back, and they're going to widen the strain reliefs here to allow me to put up to an 11mm diameter cable. Jeez. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start be... saving my money because I'm going to order one of each of those then. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, the, the Genesis 2 molds will also do the Saturn as well. Mm-hmm. It's the, um, even though it's a 10-pin mini DIN, it's the same diameter. Same size and shape of the base. Same size connected, yeah. Yeah. Just the extra pin. So. Um, sorry, there's a, I live next to a hospital. I don't know if you can hear it through there. But yeah, yeah. There's like <laughs> five cop cars and ambulance and something driving by. Probably an angry cab at the same time. It's a little annoying. Welcome to New York City, guys. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, is that done? I'm going to try to close that. Uh, but now I lost my damn train of thought. Um, so, have you actually done uh, testing to see the difference, um, both on an oscilloscope and through a capture card, on some of the shielded and unshielded in different scenarios? Yeah, I did it with the um, with the Mega Drive Stroke Genesis too, because it was driving me nuts for for, for forever. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. the uh, it tends to buzz a lot more than the um, the audio the model, buzz, right? The yeah. model, yeah. The audio buzz is, is more prominent than the Model 1. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried all sorts of things. Um, I tried individually shielded um, cables for, for all the colors and the sound. Um, I even disconnected the sound, and you still get the buzzing through the TV, <laughs> even when the sound's disconnected. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, when you, got, when you crank it up to full volume, you right. still get... Um, I was recently, th- this was a while ago, this was probably about a year ago, something like that, um, and then about a couple of weeks ago, I jumped back on it again, because I thought, I, I want to solve solve this problem, because I, I tried all sorts of different things, and I, cr- I, I got out my scope, and I've got a copy of 240p test suite mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on my EverDrive. What I was doing, I was... I was um, Measuring the current output on each color. So put a red on the screen, what's the current drawn, green on the screen, blue on the screen, white, then chain it all down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously you get, it, it pulls more current when it's putting white on the screen. Right. Um, and because I thought it was an issue with the resistors, I thought the calculations for the resistors were wrong. Mm-hmm. On, on <laughs> Anyway, um, it turned out to be my um, male-to-male SCART from my switch to my TV was crap. Really? <laughs> All those years. Yeah, so I pulled out a really expensive um, cab- uh, uh, pack-a-punch SCART cable I do, mm-hmm. which is individual Wait, so you steel. weren't using your own cable to test? No, no, I was, I was using some cheap <laughs> shit. <laughs> there you go, lesson learned right there. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, yeah, so I, after I put this new cable in, um, 
you know, dramatically reduce the buzzing um, to an acceptable uh, level, to be quite honest. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Less so that's on the, the, the shielded version, not the, the standards, right? Yeah, the shielded version of the male-to-male SCART from my SCART switch to my TV. I've got a, I've got a Delta Blue uh, SCART switch, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty decent, I suppose. So people um, people ask me all the time, like, hey, I see you got both cables linked on your site. What do you recommend? And it's a hard question because um, I have, obviously, I have a bit of OCD. I wouldn't have a website about how to make every little bit of your console better if I didn't. But some things affect me way worse than others. Like the jail bars um, on a flat screen TV. Like, I can't even play the game. It just drives me nuts. But, you know, on a CRT, I could barely <clears throat> notice some... Um, certain audio things. I think I think audio buzz from game consoles. I think that's ingrained in the back of my brain because I, I mean, my band hated me in the mixing process of our album because I heard every frequency that was off. The um, you know, the guy who was mixing the album couldn't hear any of it, so he just thought I was making shit up. But I actually have a, a very wide range of hearing. And that audio buzz never bothers me because I think I think why is because that's just always how it was as a kid. You play Sonic, it goes to the white title screen. You hear the hum. That's to me. <laughs> maybe my brain's telling me this is what Sonic sounds like. You know, that's yeah. uh, it. Never. So I always say, if you know, if it's your favorite console, just buy the shielded one. Just because. I mean, what at the end of the day, you know, what's it really going to matter? If it's not your favorite console, then what does that matter either anyway? It's not like you're going to buy a bad cable. But what is, I guess, what is your, I mean, you're running a business, so of course you want everybody to buy the more expensive one. That's, that's life. But what, you know, as a, as a nerd and a gamer, what is your advice for people um, who, who ask you? What would you, you know, do you buy the regular or the shielded? Um, I don't know. It's, it's preference, really. When I, when I did sell the Pack-A-Punch, I was selling them for like... Um, 45 pounds which is a lot of money yeah because um, the, the cost of the materials um was quite high to to make and, and it was time consuming as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and the idea with the new injection mold <laughs> is that it's going to make it a lot cheaper so i can bring that price right down mm-hmm. so my long-term plan is to uh, shield everything um, and eventually phase out the cable I'm using at the moment, which is shielded but not individually shielded. Right. So probably... I was actually just going to ask if you were going to do that because that, yeah. that's, that's great to hear. That's great. Yeah. Because at the moment it's... Well, when I, used to, when I used to make the Pack-A-Punch, it's just so time-consuming. You can imagine stripping the shielding off each individual wire and twizzling it all together, and <laughs> oh, I don't have to imagine. I've done it, and man, yeah. it sucks. It's it's yeah, it's, it's, yeah then, that's not easy. Heat, shrink, heat shrinking everything as well, yeah. which is really time consuming. And then with the packer punch, we use a metal um, scat housing, a gold plated mm-hmm. one. So you've got to make sure it's uh, properly insulated, so you don't get any short circuits, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, and um, but another. Um, advantage with um our new pcb design is it does away with all the heat shrinking yeah um it makes it nice and neat so when we come to do the packer punch again we don't need to worry about you know 
uh, heat shrinking wires and components. Before we used to have to heat shrink like uh, capacitors, stuff like that. We don't need to do that now. We can, we can solder straight to the board and not have to worry about um, you know anything shorting out on the on the metal casing mm-hmm. of the plug. So because it's not going to go anywhere because it's a rigid yeah. circuit board. So yeah. I've had a question when I first saw those, right? So um, I've seen, I've obviously I take apart everything. So I've seen your original cables and and how you have everything to uh, each scarp pin, and you know the way when they were shielded, the way they were all set up. There's you know that's it's awesome. But then each individual cable could wiggle the connector, and sometimes you know there's a lot of disadvantages when you put signals on a circuit board like that. Um, yeah. Is there <clears throat> is there a chance that those signals now the traces on top of the circuit board being close to each other, is that has does that have any potential for interference? Because my layman's brain tells me that it's not long enough to create an antenna to make some crazy interference. But I'm not an electrical engineer, so yeah. What's your thought on that? Um, one of the d- design considerations I had to make I had to make for this was. Um, you know, the capacitance effects on the board. So what I have is extra vias mm-hmm. throughout the board just to ground each copper plate either side together to, to you know, minimize that or, you know, remove that capacitance effect on the board. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's um, the main thing I was looking at at the time of designing it. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, I see, so you got the the chip on there. So for people that need sync stripper for um, compatibility reasons, that's perfect. Just having it right there and having it, you know, the space on the circuit board. Yeah. I'm working on, um, because this is for the PlayStation. Mm -hmm. I'm working on a little circuit board, which will go actually in the header of this. Tiny little circuit board with the sync stripper at this end, because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people say it's the wrong end of the cable. <laughs> if, if if you're doing it for the per- from what I gather at least, if you're doing it for the purpose of making something compatible, so you're using Luma, which you're not going to get interference from, but you require C-Sync, it doesn't matter because you're only doing it for compatibility. But if that yeah. was composite video, yeah, putting a sync stripper in the scart head's useless. So yeah, but. Um, so let me, I actually was, uh, you know, I had very few notes today when I was talking with you, cause I feel like, you know, we've been talking to each other for so long. I knew what I wanted to ask, but the one thing that I, I marked down that I really wanted to, to, I don't even know if this is possible, but the one thing that makes the PS2 stand out as so weird in all these is the, uh, sync on green RGSB. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, you know, there's obviously all those devices that you can buy that converts it. There's some that just accept it. But is there a way to actually have a, a maybe not uh, the LM1881, uh, but maybe a newer chip or something that could actually go in there and automatically switch when it goes from, uh, you know, when it goes from RGBS to, uh, to sync on green and then convert that to RGBS so you actually have a 480p RGBS signal going out? So you're wanting... So- you're talking component, aren't you, with sync on green? So you're wanting to use... No, not component. Always yeah. RGB. Right. So, uh... like, right now, the way I would do it is I have... Like, I have a PS2, 
with this uh, RGB SCAR cable with uh, using Luma as sync, which that seems to con- confuse everybody as well. A lot of people <laughs> think you have to have Luma as sync to get sync on green. You just need any sync, composite video, Luma, solder sync right on the board and have your wires hanging out, whatever. But I have that going uh, into my GSCAR switch, which has the sync stripper, uh, which is required to go into my Xtron 203RXI. And that unit takes anything that you put any sync that you put into it and converts it to any sync that you would like it to be. So when it's RGBS in, it just sticks RGBS out. But when it's RGSB in, it then converts that to RGBS out. And that allows my 480p compatible monitor, FrameMeister, a lot of other capture cards, a lot of other devices, um, instead of getting an RGSB signal, it's getting a 480p RGBS signal. So it really takes care of that. So, because a lot of people oh, complain I, about I, the component yeah. encoder on the PS2, and that's obviously <clears> the best way to just get around that. Yeah. Oh, oh I see what you're saying now. For the high resolution, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you wanting to then break out the sync. Right. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I have to think about that. <laughs> yeah. So I know a couple of people working on projects like that. Anything yeah. from like a converter box to you know stuff with that that technology built in. But none of them have uh, space cons- uh, constraints. None of them. So I would guess that there's no way in hell that would fit in the console end. <laughs> um, but m- maybe, maybe it would fit in the SCART end. Because they're not using an LM1881. What they're using is a much newer, more expensive chip. And what it basically does is digitally scan and say, this is what's coming in. Well, you set it to this is what I always want going out, and then it scans what's coming in and always converts that. Um, I'll yeah. get you. I'll, I have it in my notes. I'll get you the chip for that later if you want it. But I just the space constraint is the only thing that you know. None of those guys have to work with, so I don't even know if that's possible to put in a cable. But if yeah. you were to able to to have a PlayStation Two cable that that can do that, so you know, for four eighty i and two forty p, it's just RGBs going out. Perfect. You you already do that. But when it swaps or when it goes into 480p mode, being able to handle that as well, uh, FrameMeister users definitely would love that. Uh, me and my, uh, I would, could eliminate my Xtron unit. Uh, you know, I think that's uh, it's obviously a, a niche item, but I, I know a lot of people that would definitely pay for that. Has anybody tried um, t- putting like a, a T junction off the green, one route going to? The green, and then another route going to the sync virus sync stripper. <laughs> the well, the one or two people I know that did that, um, uh, and they did it on a breadboard just to see if it would work. Uh, got strange interference, and not a lot, but enough to say, "Hey, I'd rather just use component if this is what I have to deal with." So well, that's, yeah, I wouldn't use a breadboard. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just a proof of concept to see if it would even yeah. work or not, though. So. Yeah. The um, thing is, um, I don't have a component. Oh, actually, uh, my BVM. I should try out my BVM, actually, yeah. but uh, Actually, on your computer. BVM, if you wanted to test it, just take one of your cables and then turn off external yeah. sync, and it should switch right over. Yeah, yeah, because we don't have component on our consumer TVs here because we have SCART. Right. So um, I can try out my BVM maybe maybe next week. <laughs> um. So I do have a question, though. Do you? Uh, I haven't been on your website in a couple of months. I'm sorry. It's one of those things where, like, when I need something, I email How you. How dare so you? I haven't, <laughs> I haven't checked for updates or anything. But um, 
do you have separate cables for PS1 and PS2? Um, I've been doing some work on that because I know one, uh, I don't have the notes to hand. One has the capacitors inside the motherboard. PS2 does and the PS1 doesn't. PS1 doesn't, right, okay. So the PS2, mm-hmm. so all our, all our cables at the moment have capacitors in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am planning on selling two separate cables because I, I do have, I now have a board with no capacitors on. It's just a, a pass through mm-hmm. with the 180 resistor on for the RGP switching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because as you know, if you've got two capacitors in series it halves the capacitance so yeah right i think uh i think it might have been steve from hd retrovision built uh yeah it was him because he let me borrow he built a test rig so that you could actually plug different cables in um and i messed with it i was going to make a video on it but my life in gaming did a, a way better video so i just i skipped it but i think he found that using a much higher resistor worked for both ps1 and 2 but if you were going to make PS2 specific cables that had that weird sync stripper in it, that would kind of be a moot point anyway. But um, yeah, it's certainly something to look into because it's uh, I I I didn't I didn't know I don't know enough about this. I know just enough to be dangerous is you know the, the, <laughs> the term I always hear. Um, so I chose to just have two cables: one that I uh, have the resistors in, and one that I took them out of. So now I have a PS1 and a PS2 cable, but. Um, I, I think it might be worth trying at least for the basic cables to see if you could use one set of capacitors on both. So Yeah, yeah. And I've not uh, cracked open a PS3 yet, so I don't know what's what's going on inside a PS3. <laughs> My only issue with the PS3 is it's 480i only. So right. while it's a great console, and while um, actually it was that same My Life in Gaming video showed that uh, in many ways you can get PS1 and 2 games to look pretty good, depending on the model of the PS3, that's all HDMI out. So I'm not really sure how many people would would really need a PS3 RGB cable. Yeah. Um, And I don't think, I think it's literally impossible to ever hack it to do 240p. So, much like the Xbox, the original Xbox. Yeah. Um, I did have uh, another question, though. Um, For GameCube... I had a bunch of people tell me that uh, they tried to build their own... They basically took, like, a SNES cable that uh, with yeah. a composite video sync, CVBS, um, and added a sync stripper to it, and it didn't work. And then somebody <laughs> said it's a known issue. I, I don't know anything about that. You want to... Obviously, you do, though. You want to explain why that happens and, and what the deal is with that? Do you want to know my secret? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I came across the same problem, and it drove me nuts again, just like the Genesis 2 uh, problem. And all it turned out to be, I'm going to let you know now, because I don't mind. Well, somebody can Uh, just buy your cable, open it, and and put it on the internet anyway, so... (laughs) Well, look, they can't can't open it, because it's... (laughs) I'm like Apple. There you go. It's a closed system. (laughs) (laughs) But... Um, all you need to do is put a 75 ohm resistor from the composite sink to ground, mm-hmm. and then the sink stripper will work. Simple as that. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> huh. Yeah, because the GameCube is still, um, if you're in Europe, the GameCube is just the best way to play Game Boy Advance games. Just buy a cable with a sink stripper in it in case you have a you know a monitor that's um, 
you know, that's a, a little, uh, that's sensitive to that. And then just, that, it's perfect. RGB out, 240p, use the Game Boy interface software. It's quick and easy, so. Yeah. I don't know what happened to my pal GameCube. I gotta get another one of those. I often yeah, lend like, stuff out to people and then forget that I lent it out to people, so I don't know where that one ended up. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had a few, like, in query, because obviously the NTSC doesn't output RGB video. So I often get inquiries from customers saying, can't you make a component cable for my NTSC GameCube? And I'll just say to them, well, just buy a PAL GameCube, it'd be cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, is that something you would consider doing, is just buying a load of PAL GameCubes and selling them bundled with a cable? Um, I don't know. I actually once had a crazy idea mm-hmm. to, to buy loads of SCART TVs from charity shops. Do you call them... Uh, like thrift shops in America. Yeah. And just fill a container full and just ship it over to, like, ship it over to you. <laughs> you SCAR inputs, then you can sell them. So <laughs> we recap them. And sell there's them. a company called <laughs> Luva. I'm sure you've heard yeah. of it being in Europe, right? Um, and they had a TV called the Articos that for years, um, even snobby industry insiders to whoever would all agree that it was the best best TV out there, consumer TV. It's obviously yeah. not like a $50,000 BVM. Um, and the reason they stopped making them or and shipping them to America was because um, it was something like a 20% failure rate from shipping on the boats. Right. Um, and they put uh, like accelerometers in each of the boxes and found that some of the containers were being dropped three or four feet off the ground. By the crate. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the <laughs> container that held everything in it, the actual big metal container. So yeah. I would say that as amazing as an idea as that would be, <laughs> you would probably end up with 50% failure rate. Yeah. So. I, I didn't think it was a money spinner, to be honest. I just, it's one of those crazy ideas I had, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, something like that's amazing. And I, I could definitely yeah. hook you up with people that would take the container and, and warehouse them, but. At that point, you know, you're looking to break even and have a bunch of cool stuff, you know, a, a huge piece of history be archived in a different country. But yeah. ha- having it break even would be challenging. <laughs> so The thing is, you, you need to convert the power supply on them to 110, which is a 240 here. So you need somebody at the other end to modify them. We yeah. have those people. That's easy. Yeah. We have, I, even just the few people that I know would be able to handle all of that without even blinking an eye. It's just getting them here that's the issue. So. Yeah. And if a company like Luva can't find an efficient way to pack them and get them here, then you and I probably aren't. <laughs> so, but unless we just take each monitor, like take each 20, 30-inch monitor and wrap it in like a foot of bubble wrap. That way you could roll it down a hill and it'll still be fine. But it's... Uh, I know... I follow a page on Facebook called um, uh, CRT. Oh, I can't remember. CRT Collective. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yep. I think a few people on there in America are, uh, are doing RGB modifications on the monitors. One of my friends, to... Jose, is, um, and uh, yeah. he's on Twitter. If uh, if you want to check out his, but he um, he got really into it, and uh, he is he gets just as excited about the stuff as we do. And I went down and actually got to see him doing one. Uh, and he, he makes it look easy now. I mean, it's just because he's done so many. He he picks and chooses, of course. So he, he picks the ones that he knows has the jungle chips that he could work on with no problems. And um, the way, I mean, it's... And then uh, he has his buddy Ben come in to cut the uh, scart hole in it so it looks factory. I mean, it looks straighter than some factory holes I've seen. So it's just, uh, yeah, the people have been doing great jobs. 
And I think um, I, we haven't had a chance to test, but one of the things Jose and I really want to do is take a TV that has component video in and RGB mod that one to see what the yeah. difference is. Because it's my theory, which you know could be useless, but a lot of the things in built the circuitry inside the TV, um, which is designed for video, which when you play video through it could be very helpful. But when you play video games and you know for sure you're outputting an RGBS 75 ohm signal, perfect. Those uh, the components inside the TV might actually take away from the signal. The filters they add, you know, like the comb filters. So I'm wondering if just going direct into the jungle chip and modding that would actually make a better image than going into the TV. Something you guys out there could test too. Take a TV with a RGB SCART input and then RGB mod it to the chip, and then see if there you could see a noticeable difference. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I've got enough projects going on. <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. Add that one to the list. <clears throat> yeah. So there's one thing too that I've uh, I've been talking to everybody about behind the scenes over the years, and it's uh, you know, there have been standards created in other industries that are are basically fan standards, if you will. Um, you know, so the the companies didn't create them the fans did and one thing i would love to see is a connector standard for consoles that that we the fans the fans and the nerds and the people behind the scenes doing this say hey guys we we found this one connector it's a bit available for you know 50 cents each from china uh this is what we're going to use on all of the consoles that don't already have rgb outputs on it so, like, you know, obviously Genesis and Super Nintendo, don't worry about it, but, you know, Coleco and Television, Atari, all the older ones. Um, have you been able to find any connector that would suit the needs of retro gamers? So, RGBS, uh, uh, voltage for people in Europe that need that switching, and then, of course, left and right audio and good grounding. Um, is there something that you know of that people could use? Uh, or is it just, are, are we, or, you know... Or is it the same, you know, like Framemeister connector nine or eight pin, eight pinned in that we've been using? Yeah, to be honest, that I would use uh, as you probably already have done is a, a VGA style fifteen pin high density D sub. So the VGA style connector, um, because that then gives you the option to use a VGA switcher, like. Um, you know, yeah. So everything yeah. you just said is correct, and you can get cheap shielded RGB or VGA cables for it. Um, there, there are a couple of problems because I did this for three, two years or something. The problems you have is first longevity, right? I mean, you know, I don't mean to be morbid, but everything dies, and when I'm gone and my console collection goes somewhere, and somebody plugs a VGA cable into that into a VGA monitor and says, "Oh, this doesn't work. Yeah, it's junk," you know. That that's definitely going to happen in the future. Um, also, a round connector is ideal because yeah. anybody can can use a drill and drill one hole without screwing something <clears> up. <throat> but try yeah. using a Dremel to cut a perfect shape for a VGA connector. That's that's hard. You know, some people I, yeah. I, I I'm not good at it. It looks like you know I look like a Parkinson's patient when I'm doing it. You know, it's just not. Um, uh, and uh, you know, so those are the two main things, of course. But then also everybody's stuck on SCART for retro gaming. So then you have to deal with VGA to SCART, which is a pain because even uh, some of the ones that you've made a bunch for me that were fine, 
But then it's the same thing. People will take that cable, plug it into a computer, and say, how come I can't run this through my SCART switch? You know? And yeah, so they think it's VGA, and it's not. So, yeah. they, think it's v- so yeah. the, they think it's VGA, and it's not round, are the two things that, that as silly as that sounds, is a, a, a serious yeah. detriment. You know, analog NT, you know, their NT Mini has a VGA connector for all the analog outputs, but that's a company with documentation and, you know, that's, that's a little different. And even though I think they made the right choice, um, it's still going to cause problems in the future. (laughs) So, well, when, when, um, analog interact, well, they were known as interactive, weren't they? Analog interactive a few years ago. I think they're just analog now. Um, but when they did the um, consoleized MVS mm-hmm. in, in the wooden box, yes, uh, Chris from Analog contacted me about getting some RGB scarts made up. Mm-hmm. He and he asked me the same question you asked. You're asking now, what what connector should should he use? Um, what what socket? Because he wanted to run RGB components, um, uh, RGB and component. I don't know if he's using S Video as well. I think it did S Video. Anyway, so I suggested a, a 13 pin mm-hmm. DIN socket. So then he had enough uh, connectors on there to, to run components and RGB. So um, we made a bunch of cables for them as well uh, using the 13 pin socket. And is that socket available, you know, in bulk from China? Probably, but. The the rarer than the say for instance eight pin din, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah that, that's the thing when when you think about you know uh, like for, for myself when I think about manufacturing I, I think well is this part going to be available you know in the next few years is there going to be an abundance of of you know say for instance the capacitors I use on the PCB boards. Mm-hmm. They're going to be in abundancy for the next few years to sustain, um, you know, production. The, if, with with the DIN format, the, the, the DIN connectors, I, I don't really know how, how long they're going to manufacture them for, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah, but, that and that's <clears> a big <throat> issue. And even if you do something like, even if you work with a reputable shop, because I still have all of my contacts in China, I still call them on their birthdays and stuff like that and it's um i could easily say hey you know auto and i have asked them the question and they basically say their answer is all the same and it's mostly bullshit but their answer is always whatever you want we'll make for you as long as there's a minimum order of a thousand and when you're talking yeah. about something like a connector to order a thousand is not that big a deal just the connector itself you know yeah uh, not nearly like if you had to order a thousand cables or something like that um, yeah. But so that's that's good. But if we found one, I, I definitely would be able to have somebody say, "Okay, well, end of life is coming in 2019." So then we, you know, we all chip in and place an order for five thousand. <clears throat> but what happens when those run out? So maybe, maybe we all just kind of talk and uh, and pick one and and then make sure that it's uh, in a, it's made in a way where you could use possibly existing molds to make your cables for it. So you could have cables going for it as well, but because that's a big thing, and you know, as much as VGA is probably going to be around the longest of all those DIN cables, uh, DIN connectors, it's still, um, you know, it's still confusing to people. So, 
that's yeah. definitely something I want to I want to think about. So keep that in your mind, and because uh, we're going to need you to make the cables <laughs> for it. <laughs> so, uh, I had a customer call me today. Um, is he has a, a consoleized MVS, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the output socket on the back of that beast is is a female scart socket. <laughs> so, <laughs> huh. um, you know, that's a bit of an overkill. Um, but uh, so he could just use a regular male-to-male scart from from the MVS to the TV. Um, but that must have taken a lot of cutting out, you know, that kind of yeah. you know, big scart is. But I think your idea with regards to using a DIN mm-hmm. is it's the neatest. You know, just drill a hole mm-hmm. um, straight in there. I think the most popular one is, is the 8-pin DIN. And that's what um, a lot of people use on PC engines. Um, to take out the 5-pin socket, put an 8-pin in there. Right, yeah, and so far so good with that. The only problem I have is there's a few versions of that DIN. So the one that uh, uh, you put it through the back and then you screw the nut on the outside and it's kind of like a plastic nut. Even with Loctite, I've heard that those break very easily. Um, So, I mean, that right now would be my go-to. And do you make cables directly for that, just pass through DIN to SCART cables? For the PC engine, yeah. So there's no amplifiers in there. It's just a straight, yeah, just a straight pass-through yeah. cable. Yeah. So is that something that's readily <clears throat> available on your site? The PC engine, yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, so isn't that pinout the? Wait, no, that's the larger eight-pin DIN pinout, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, eight-pin eight DIN big. I was thinking of the the one um, <clears throat> the frame the one the frame meister uses pretty much. Oh, the mini. Yeah. Yeah. So that one. Um, I've seen a lot of people take that in, in like uh, Zach Voltar. He just sent pictures of the last TurboGrafx-16 that he modded, uh, and he an idea he told me about a long time ago. But he removes the RF, and then flips that surface mount connector over, and uses the ground plane and solders it directly to the ground plane, and so that thing's good. It's never moving. Solid. <laughs> yeah, and then he um, so that's that's perfect. So but finding cables for that, and then. So, I mean, I guess I can get a SCART to Framemeister cable from you, but then I would have to move the sync pin over on the SCART head, right? Because that's input, not output. Um, no, it uses the same pin for sync. Um, so uh, an original non-modified would have left, right, audio, ground, sync, on a five-pin configuration. And then whoever comes to modify it, they put the eight-pin socket in and just add the red, green, and blue mm-hmm. uh, to the top two pins, top two and middle pin. Right. No, I meant on the SCART end, because isn't there oh, sync in and out? 19, pin uh, 19 and 20? Uh, we'll just use 20, which is out. Yeah, so your existing... I just meant that your existing cables, the ones that go from like the SCART output of a G-SCART switch to the Framemeister input, uh, the RGB input, yeah, that would that would use a different sync pin than the opposite Framemeister side being the console side and SCART being the output side. Yeah, so from the output from a, a, a switch would be pin nineteen right. to pin twenty. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a crossover, and it's the same with the audio as well. Yeah, I uh, forgot about audio. Yeah. So yeah. out of curiosity, what happens if you wire sync to both pins? Do you get loops then in using certain switches or something? Oh, I've never done that. <laughs> I think I did in a test environment where I knew <clears throat> I knew what the components were, so it didn't make the slightest bit of a difference because it wasn't connected in either scenario. 
But in a non-test environment, I don't know. I don't know what that would do. <laughs> so. Yeah, I've, I've never done that. Uh, no. So the, the one other thing, one other cable thing that's been bugging me for a while is uh, Master System Sync. So uh, as I've learned over the years, if you use an SG-1000 from Japan... Yeah, no, MK-2000. Jesus, am I only my second beer and I'm already forgetting shit. Um, M- the MK-2000 <laughs> <laughs> from, uh, from Japan has all of the components on the board. So you just need a pass-through cable for RGBS. Yeah, but there are different. I mean, I have people all the time say I bought a master system, and an RGBS cable, and I am not getting a signal. Um, yeah, and I've had people send them to me, and uh, I don't. I just don't understand what the issue is. Do you know? Do you have any? Uh, and the one that the one person sent me had the uh, you know the the all the correct components in the scart head, so I, they wanted me to <coughs> test an RGB bypass on it anyway. So I did the full bypass. Um, and it worked perfect afterwards. So is it the, is it that the Genesis sync signal isn't, uh, the TTL sync is off? Was it, you know, any thoughts on that? So this is the, you say the Mark two. No, just the master system. Oh, yeah. oh the master system in, in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not really sure. Uh, so we, we, we sell a C-Sync cable for the master system. And do you have? Do you ever have people call you up and say, "Hey, it's not working on my master system"? Um, no, I've, I've not. I don't have any reported issues. Um, generally, if I've heard anything, I, you know, tend to look into it and try and sort it out. Hmm. But um, I've got a couple of Mark One master systems which I use for testing, and they all seem to work fine on uh, C-Sync. So hmm. you've got to make sure you have. Um, 75 ohm resistor and 220 microfarad capacitor in series on the sync line um, because that's not on the motherboard. So if, if you look, if you look at the the signal, uh, if you look, look at the sync, the sync signal, um, it kind of bypasses the encoder mm-hmm. and goes straight to the socket. Right. So you've got to add these components in the in the SCART. So um, it's actually funny because sync comes right off of the main video chip, and yeah. basically into your TV. I mean, you could tone it out just with a multimeter. You don't need a scope or anything. Then you know it beeps <clears> at <throat> the input of the CXA encoder, and it beeps at the output, and then it beeps at the end of your cable. <laughs> so there, there's really no components at all, uh, and there are yeah. for RGB. Obviously, those need amplification on the board through the CXA. But yeah, that's a uh, that's strange. Yeah. So um, in your testing, it's always just been the 75 ohm resistor and 220 UF capacitor. On the sync line, yeah, yeah, right, and then yeah. we also we also add those on. You see, the Sega only put the 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 220 microfarad capacitor and 75 ohm resistor on the composite video output because mm-hmm. they just assume people were using composite video. Right. So we add these extra components for the red, green, and blue um, on the SCAT, on the SCAT PCB. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we only offer the C-Sync version of the Genesis and Master System cable now. So if this, well, this is the um, play, uh, PlayStation, but 
on our master system one, we've got an extra capacitor around the front as well for the sink mm-hmm. and, and uh, resistors on there as well. So, yeah. Hmm. My wife keeps ringing me. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, but she keeps... I told her, I said, I'm doing a podcast tonight. Don't disturb me. <laughs> She's actually visiting an um, uh, auntie and uncle down mm-hmm. south in Shrewsbury at the minute. She's been down there a week with the kids. So I've just been sat here in front of the TV playing Xbox. <laughs> oh, so this is a perfect time Every for night. a podcast, a drinking podcast yeah. then. This is great. <laughs> Yeah. And then she rings me yesterday and says, I, I think I'm going to stay another week. I was like, she said, are you going to be upset? Be, oh, no, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> I'll make do. I'll make do. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. My wife just went away last weekend. She's like, oh, what would you do while I was gone? Nothing. <laughs> just enjoy the apartment alone. So, yeah, I know the feeling. But... So, basically, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like um, a bachelor pad now. So, uh <laughs> The day before she comes back, I'm going to have a tidy up. <laughs> Rush around and do everything at once. <laughs> so um, I think I covered everything I wanted to ask. I mean, uh, was there anything that you wanted to talk about that I forgot to mention or anything like that? Um, no, not really. Um, I don't know. Anything coming up in the future <laughs> other than uh, the cables? <laughs> I'm a bit pissed now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'd, I'd like to have more time to to do the electronic side of stuff. You know, I like messing around, and I just don't seem to have the time or the or the space at the minute. Um, my workshop um, it's about five hundred square foot. Oh, cool! So it's it's yeah, it's big, but you know, I've got um, uh, a couple of employees who work for me, so they've got their own space as well. Um, but basically, I just have one desk. So if I ever want to um, do some testing, I, I get the scope out, put it on my desk. I've got to move everything out of the way, do what I want to do, and then um, put it in my book and then shift it all out of the way again and then you know, make cables again. Yeah. Um, but on the 1st of April, we're moving to a, a bigger facility. It's uh, 2,000 square foot. Oh, wow. So it's... Um, it's huge. <laughs> so I'm going to have my own R&D room so I can do all the bits I want to do, just like keep it all in there and, you know, jump in there whenever I need to and just do some testing. Because I've been working on a SCART switch for a few years and I've built a prototype and I've just never managed to, I don't seem to find the time anymore, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to continue that. But I'd like to get back onto that again and you know, do some work on it. So that's... Um, you know one of the projects i'm doing mm-hmm. and hopefully with with the new workshop because they're selling the, the building i'm in at the moment the, the, it's been sold so we're having to leave <laughs> yeah but you know we're running out of space anyway so that's you know uh, we've got this new place and um, um yeah it should be a lot better should, I, should i'm cool. ranting on now i'm a bit pissed <laughs> no, no that's cool that's cool well, I really appreciate you uh, you getting on and doing this. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's always so fun to see the people I've been working with for years, and I've never actually you know talked over the phone or seen them before. So it's kind of fun. It's uh, good catching up and everything. And I'm, I'm definitely gonna have you back on at some other point in the future to talk about what other neat invention you got coming up with. So that's my wife bringing again. Uh, all right. Well, oh, you answer God. the phone, and uh, I'll see everybody next week, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay.